0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 102 of Wait a Week Mystery, the podcast where we read the novels of mystery author J.C. Bodden. This is your host, J.C. herself. Today we're reading from my first novel, entitled Someone to Watch Over Me, copyright 2007. Chapter 2, The Corners of My Mind Bright Sunday morning light streamed through the bedroom window and startled me awake, my heart pounding. I threw my arm over my eyes and moaned, the nightmares images already fading. The clock gave me the good news, bad news. I'd managed to sleep in, but my morning workout was going to be hot. I planned my day during my run. Today's lab work would take bat to time with Dad. Sundays we have dinner at Aunt Tilly and Uncle Mickey's house, and I can't get out of it. Not that I would want to. Besides, I suddenly realized that it was Tilly's, and therefore my mother's, birthday. Dad would need me. The house where Tilly and Mickey live was in its usual state of barely controlled chaos when Dad and I arrived. They live and work on the campus of a church-run home for orphaned and abandoned children. Childless themselves, Tilly and Mickey have been house parents for the past 20-something years and have fostered literally hundreds of kids. As a child, I spent most of every summer with them, too. The campus has a total of 15 homes, each of which houses up to 10 children and two foster parents, and there is always a waiting list of children who need placement. Children from all over the state are sent to Twin Oaks Farm, from families who can't or won't take care of them, and the most difficult cases, abuse, neglect, special needs, wind up with my aunt and uncle. During the meal, conversation around the table was lively, with Tilly making sure that everyone was included. As the dinner ended, children and adults alike took their plates to the kitchen and loaded them in the dishwasher. No shirking chores in Tilly's house. In the kitchen, Tilly turned to me. Jenny, did you hear that Uncle Mickey got one of our fosters a job working maintenance at the university? Maybe we will run into him. Who? Joe Halliday. "'He's a few years older than you. "'Came to us after his mother was killed.' "'Tilly glanced around the kitchen "'to see if any of the younger children were within earshot. "'It was the summer you were at Camp Waxahachie.' "'That was my first case as a detective,' Dad said. "'Tilly turned to him. "'Oh, yeah, that's right. I had forgotten.' "'Dad leaned forward, pitching his voice low "'so that any stray children wouldn't hear. "'It was open and shut, a good case to cut my teeth on.' "'The killer, her boyfriend, got 25 years for manslaughter. "'Joe testified at the trial. "'He was only here about eight weeks or so, but he was such a sweet child. "'He wrote me a letter every week, even after he got out of school. "'There was an opening here this summer, and Mickey helped him get hired. "'Uh, tall, muscular, really blue eyes?' I asked. "'That's him,' Tilly nodded. "'The bluest eyes I've ever seen.' He let me into my lab yesterday when I'd forgot my keys. He's really quiet. He's about 85 or 90% deaf, Mickey spoke up. He had an untreated ear infection when he was in elementary school. He can talk. He just doesn't much. In fact, with the deafness and the trauma of his mom's death, he didn't talk here until right before he left. He can read lips really well, but he has to be able to see your face when you're talking, and sometimes it takes him a second to process. Does he sign? I asked. Yes, but not many hearing people do, so he relies heavily on lip-reading, Tilly answered. Do you remember any signs? Not really. I haven't used it in a long time. When did you learn sign language, Jenny? Dad asked. There was a deaf girl in my scout troop. Have you talked to him, Mickey? Tilly asked. How's the job? Millie opened his mouth, but closed it again. Uh, I'm not sure, hon, he admitted with a slight shrug. What does that mean, Tilly frowned. Well, his boss is very complimentary, but Joe's a little... Mickey hesitated again. What? Tilly was always fiercely protective of her children. I understood Mickey's reluctance to ruffle her feathers. He's frustrated. Frustrated? He gets his work order information texted over his pager since he can't use a radio, so that's working out. But you know how it is. Sometimes it's hard for people to know how much he understands. He knows some of the guys think he's not very bright. Plus, Bob, the supervisor, tends to mumble. It'll be okay. It's just going to take time for everyone to adjust. Just like when he came to us, remember? Tilly gestured at her husband with the spatula. Joe's got a good heart, Mickey. You make sure he's okay. Hear me? When it was time for Dad and me to leave, Tilly hugged me, kissing me on the cheek. Seeing how she ran her home made taking care of all those freshmen seem a lot less daunting. "'Thanks for dinner, Aunt Tilly, and happy birthday,' I whispered. "'It was a wonderful dinner, as usual, Tilly,' Dad cleared his throat as he hugged her. "'And by the way, happy birthday!' His sidelong glance told me he had heard me. "'I miss her too, Devlin.' "'Tilly hugged him fiercely and wiped a tear from the corner of her eye. "'Tilly's birthday is not overly celebrated in front of my father. "'You'd think, after twenty-four years, the man would be over-losing his wife. "'But there you have it. "'On the other hand, maybe it's Tilly who's not over-losing her twin. "'On the drive back to town, I listened absent-mindedly as Dad discussed a case. "'I'm his sounding board as he goes over the facts out loud.' He says it helps him work it out. It's as much a Sunday tradition as dinner with Tilly and Mickey. Today, though, my mind was on other things, and I was mildly surprised when we pulled up in front of the dorm. Well, sweetie, here we are, Dad said. Maybe I should come over to the house and have some dessert or watch a little football with you. He smiled and leaned across to open my door. It's your mom's birthday, Jenny, and I miss her, but no more than usual. This is your job now. Off you go. He squeezed my hand, and for a second I was twelve and starting middle school again. Bye, Dad. Love you. I gave him a quick kiss on the cheek before I got out of the car. Love you too, sweetie. I knew, without looking, that he watched at the curb to make sure I got all the way in the building before he drove off. Kindergarten, the second time around, was easier. While he didn't learn any faster, he was no longer so small and compared to all the others. Still fairly thin, he was taller than most of the other children, and in this group he was not usually picked on. In fact, they seemed to be a little bit afraid of him. The teacher was different this time around, too, and seemed to understand him from the beginning. She would not push and make demands on him. When a question did come his way, he would simply lower his head, and she would move on to the next student in the row. He liked her and wanted to please her, but it was easier not to respond at all than to risk disappointing her. Sometimes, after she had gone on to call on another student, he would sneak a look at her sitting behind her tall desk. Once in a while, she would feel his lonesome stare and turn to look at him. She wanted to help this strange, quiet boy, but as a first-year teacher with 32 other children in the cramped classroom, she wasn't sure how. The other, younger children were intimidated by him. They all knew that he had been through kindergarten once before, although not all of them understood what that meant. Because of his quiet manner and slow smile, some of the little girls felt that he needed mothering and would question him about his how he was feeling, but he usually misinterpreted the impulse behind such inquiries and so would st- stare at the top of his worn sneakers rather than answer. The attic was the only place he was comfortable. There he was free, smart, and in complete control. Everyone wanted to be his friend. He could read anything. He amazed the other children with his math skills. His handwriting was the best in the class. His pictures were so wonderfully colored that they were framed and mounted in the hallway outside the principal's office. He was always chosen first for stickball. Sometimes when he was in the attic, he would allow himself to think of his mother— It did not occur to him that she was wrong or that she acted badly. Instead, he wondered what it was about him that made her treat him with such indifference. He knew instinctively that she was different from other mothers, much the same way that he knew he was different from other children. His mother did not greet him at the door when he got home from school or take him to soccer practice practice, or ask him if he wanted to have friends over to play. Like the women in the stories, teacher read. His mother usually seemed annoyed, if anything, by his presence. When he thought about these things, he knew it was because there was something wrong with him. He just wished he knew what it was. He wished he knew how to fix it. The winter passed rather quietly. When the weather turned cold, the attic stayed warm. He found some old pillows and a blanket in the alley behind his apartment building "'and stuffed them into the attic to make a small, although admittedly smelly, nest. "'The dirty windowpane had been rubbed as clean as he could get it from the inside, "'so he could see the street below. "'When his mother was not home, he would creep cautiously along the boards, "'stopping above the other apartments. "'He would get a warm, spooky feeling whenever he would hear people below him. "'He knew that they did not know he was there. "'The knowledge made him feel a little g- giddy.' At the end of the school year, his mother got a notice from the school. Her son had been testing for learning disabilities and was found to be dyslexic. Accordingly, he was being passed on to the first grade with the provision that he would be placed in a special education class. His mother was not surprised that there was something wrong with the boy, but she saw no need to explain things to him. She simply informed him that he had finally made it past kindergarten and into the first grade. The boy was convinced that it was because of all of his hard work in the attic. That's the end of Chapter 2 of Someone to Watch Over Me. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe to this podcast so you can tune in next week for Chapter 3. And if you can't wait a week, pop on over to Amazon. You can download the complete book for your Kindle or order the paperback version at authorpaids.com. J.C. Bodden that's J C B-O-D-D-E-N you can also find me at jcbodden.com I would love to hear from you so until next week happy waiting